Demons can sometimes use objects as conduits to achieve their desired goal. Their desired goal? Our souls, John. It wants her soul. No, no, no. Demons can't just take souls, Mia. Soul needs to be offered to the demon before it can take it. Welcome to Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series. It scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you're gonna think we're insane. Hosted by Marjorie. I'm gonna get you now. I can hear you breathing. Arnie. Arnie. It's got Arnie. And Stuart. God brought us together for a reason? This is it. This review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. So what do we do? You should go be with Arnie. He's going to need you tonight more than ever. Today, we're discussing The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Starring Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, Rory O'Connor, Sarah Catherine Hook, Julian Hillard. Directed by Michael Chavez. This is Arnie. Not that Arnie. A different Arnie. (laughs) This Arnie is co-host of Now Playing, and whatever I say on this podcast is of my own accord. I am not presently possessed by a demon. So you say. Your acoustics are good, by the way, for broadcasting from a jail cell. This is Stuart. And this is Marjorie, and the devil probably made me do it. You know what? I made you do it. Guys, I am so sorry. Like, if there's one regret that I have for now playing, it wasn't even part of our main feed show. I, in all of my ignorance, said, you know what would be a nice surprise if we just throw Conjuring out as an extra Halloween thing in 2014? And we have been cursed with that ever since that, like, again, no one's enjoyed this, right? If you like The Conjuring, you hate our reviews. And if you hate The Conjuring, who needs to hear us say how much we don't like the series? I just, (laughs) oh my God. But here we are for part eight. I can't believe, first of all, it's part eight, but the whole series, while I don't hate it, it's just not very good. It seems like horror with training wheels. Yes, I agree with that. Part of the problem is, I'll say age, I won't say I'm too old, but I am at a different level than where this movie is pitched. And if you were reading Goosebumps, you probably like this a whole lot more than I ever would. These are R-rated movies. They are. And that's crazy making. They are not. But yes, they are released as R-rated movies for reasons that make me crazy. Okay. I don't hate this series either. I sort of dread this series and not in a good horror movie way. Yeah. Because I've found the majority of them to be right on that borderline. You know, if you go back and listen to the reviews, Mm -hmm. very rarely am I like, oh no, fuck this movie, not recommend. I'm usually like, it's got some good things, got some bad things, Mm, it's kind of dull, not recommend. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's certainly not the worst series we've done. I mean, compared to your choice of the video game retrospective, (laughs) I mean, I'd rather watch 18 more Conjurings than one more Uva Bowl. <laughs> Fair enough. Arnie, now wait, watch out what you wish for because post pandemic or end of pandemic viewings were crazy. My theater was full. You went to the movie theater. 
I did. I was bored. It was a rainy day and gloomy. So I'm like, I'm just going to go to the movies alone. And I did. It was a really nice theater. I had a nice time. It was a nice afternoon with a theater full of people literally scared of this movie. You know what? That sounds like the best way to return to Conjuring. You gave yourself a nice theater experience. Because, I mean, yeah, none of us have hated these movies, but none of us have enjoyed them. So whatever we can do to be in a good mood. I did the opposite. I delayed this until early this morning. Like, I started it last night on HBO Max, and then I'm like, I just can't. I can't. And so I set my alarm and got up at 5 in the morning, watched it. Just a couple hours ago. Oh, my God. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I really wanted to go to the IMAX. I couldn't believe this was in IMAX. I mean, IMAX is desperate, right? It's like any movie in a storm. What have you got new this week? We're just going to put it on IMAX. So that's the only reason I wanted to go to a theater, but there were only two IMAX screenings. Our theaters are still only open a couple days a week. And so I was, in the end impossible to make one of the theater times and yeah it was on hbo max but after a very hard day i got a half hour into the movie i was like i just i'm exhausted i'll be in a better frame of mind to watch it this morning Mm -hmm. up at 6 (laughs) a.m watching the devil made me do it and as you say Stuart, you know you want to give the movie the best chance it has For me, giving it the best chance it has is giving it the least energy I can. The less this movie asks of me, the more I'm probably (laughs) going to like it coming in. It's like that ex-girlfriend you really don't want to see again, but you're at that high school reunion. It's like the less we talk, the happier I'll be. You guys missed (laughs) out because... At numerous times, people in the audience went, oh, no, and, like, screamed at mine. It was so much fun. Well, I didn't totally slack. I did feel like I needed to know the real story behind what crap they were going to be peddling this time. (laughs) And that's not going to help this movie. It never does when I find out the truth and then watch the story. But it's what I've been doing in the past. And so I did hunt down the 1983 book by Gerald Brittle called The Devil in Connecticut, which chronicles what is known to be documented about this case. I'm not going to say the true story, but you get what I'm saying. There are people that will say these are the things that happened in this order. And not surprisingly, the case had very little to do with Warrens. You know, they weren't there that much. There's nothing about this witch's totem conspiracy at all. Most of the book is dedicated to little David, who was 12 years old. I think here they they put him at eight. But he, I would say, of the 300 pages, he's 200 of it. If you want to know everything that he went through, and basically it's just a rehash, a gender flip of The Exorcist after laying on a waterbed, that is what the documented story is. A small boy played on a bad waterbed and then lived out The Exorcist and had exorcism after exorcism. And then it was really this coda that his sister's boyfriend baited the demon out of him and wound up killing somebody. Did you guys recognize who David was? Didn't recognize him. Noticed on IMDb, that's little Billy Maximoff from WandaVision. It is, yep. They're usually good about getting good kid actors here. I just want to say, do you want to know who played Arnie in the TV movie version that came out in 1983? Absolutely. If you want to see the the, the events as they are better understood the true story as it were in march 6 1983 nbc aired the demon murder case you can find this on youtube for free kevin bacon 
two years before Footloose, oh. is stabbing people and growling like an animal and leaping around doing his dance moves. It's really entertaining. And Andy Griffith is playing Ed Warren. They don't have the rights to the Warren story, <laughs> so they call him the Hartfields. But yeah, it's Andy Griffith trying to save Kevin Bacon's ass while Cloris Leachman is the nosy reporter. It's pretty campy fun. I actually... I'm not going to say it's better than this movie, but if you cared to know what people say happened, it's a much better representation of the 1981 events than what we're about to discuss now. Your aunt sucks cock at Mayberry. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. It was kind of like that. But yeah, that real case, as they've often done with The Conjuring, you got to hear the tapes at the end credits of this movie, and you can always judge how real is this movie, how real is the original Warren case, and I do find it interesting that all of these possessions, when I was listening to that tape at the end of Little David, all of these possessions took place after The Exorcist was in the mass consciousness, and they all sound like little Linda Blair and growl and basically replay that movie. And yet, before The Exorcist, I don't think there was a one, was there? And it kind of petered out with the 80s, where we've now left the 70s behind. Is Satanic Panic still a thing, like in 1981-82? Yes, yes, yes. So this was beginning to be the height of Satanic Panic, There were a number of daycares in the early 80s where suddenly the children were having these repressed memories of attending satanic rituals and ritual sacrifices. And they were forcing these kids into giant orgies. And Oh, I went to one of those daycares. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, it, it was a very big thing. And... It had been ramping up. It started in the 60s with Anton LaVey, where he put out his book. He did a live ritual on TV and everything. Then you had, you know, Manson and, you know, the 70s spirituality. People were branching out from Christianity, and this was coming up. But in the 80s, we had the height of it. I guess it kind of carried over into the 90s, but there were numerous people probably who are sitting in jail right now probably did not do the crimes of which they're accused in the 80s. There was a lot of fake psychiatry where they were bringing kids these repressed memories and showing them these dolls and telling them to point where things happened and everything. And then you also had, in the 90s, the West Memphis Three. Right. Yeah, just heavy metal is going to make you do it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were accused of being Satanists, and they were being accused of killing these children because they were Satanists, because they were all black and listened to heavy metal. Now, they have since been freed, but... It took some work. Yeah, the satanic panic was really at the height in the early 80s, kind of carried through the 80s. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember that, like, heavy metal bands at that time were considered satanic. I mean, Kiss was Knights in Satan's Service. Right, right. That's what I remember is to be afraid of listening to ACDC. I remember going to church and being told you should not do that or bad things are going to happen to you. I don't remember the daycare stuff. I'll be honest. I don't remember killer satanic daycare stuff. But I think you're right. I think all of this came out. Like, the hippies said, we want a different religion than Christianity, and so the Christians came back and said, you're all going to burn in hell, and, and these are the reasons why. It's a, it seems to be that all of this was a response to the crumbling influence of the church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess even though in my mind, by, you know, this movie's timeline, 1981, 1982, we should all be over the Warrens and everything they did, it was only just kind of getting reinvented. And so I guess next time, yeah, the Warrens are actually going to end up at a heavy metal concert. 
Yes, they're going to be investigating Wasp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I look forward to that sequel, but I guess we have to talk about this movie. There's reasons to feel it will be different, if not better. We have a new director, James Wan, who did Conjuring 1 and 2. You know, he contributed to the story, apparently, but he didn't write it. He didn't direct it. It's being handed off to the guy that directed The Curse of La Llorona, the writer of Conjuring 2. We're leaving the 70s behind and getting that early brown 80s look. Are you guys encouraged at all? Arnie, you're the eternal optimist. Were you excited to come back? Here's the thing about Conjuring movies is... I see a trailer, and the trailer starts off like, that looks really interesting. This one, the trailer started off with Arnie Johnson walking down the road, and he has these milky pupils for eyes, and a cop pulls up behind him, and he turns around, and you see his blood covered. I'm like, oh, there's a new zombie movie coming. Now, to be fair, I saw this trailer in theaters, so it wasn't like I was on YouTube and knew what I was watching. And then the pupils come back to normal, and the guy goes, I think I hurt someone. And I'm like, oh, this is a mystery. I'm very intrigued. What is going on with this supernatural film? And then you see Patrick Wilson. Fuck, it's a conjuring film. Yeah, Patrick Wilson (laughs) and Vera walk in, you're like, oh shit, I'm gonna go get popcorn. (laughs) It's pretty much the case. And so, was I optimistic coming back? A little bit. I'm like, the trailer, again, looked good. So, maybe we can hope that this one will be a little better, but, you know, I wasn't dreading it. I'm happy for any new movie to come out right now. Okay. I don't know if I would say I was dreading it, but I approached this not with the stance of, could it possibly be good this time? And keep in mind, I did give a very pale recommend to Annabelle Creation, but really none of them are my jam. It's really, are they going to be able to find anything new here? At this point, by a part eight in any franchise... You're pressed to come up with something that doesn't make it feel like everything you've seen before. I was curious to know, and the thing that kind of frightened me was, it looked like they were going to John Grisham. It looked like this was going to end up in court with the Warrens arguing that Satan is real. I'd be down for that. I really want to see The Trial of Emily Rose. Have you seen that? I did not for that reason. I really am not interested (laughs) in watching professional grown people argue in the reality of Satan possessing their client. That's the thing that got me about this one was in the trailer, the one line that gave me hope is Patrick Wilson saying the courts recognize the existence of God every time a witness is sworn in for testimony. It's about time they recognize the existence <laughs> of the devil. And I'll admit, I kind of did some research myself, too. I'm like, did they? How did this go? I didn't read up <laughs> no, oh no. on the case of Arnie Johnson before watching this movie because I was just in too much suspense on the truth of this case versus the James Wan fiction that was going to try to make a good movie because while the arnie johnson stuff and the david stuff is true i say in air quotes yeah documented am i correct in saying that all the stuff with the fallen priest caster and his daughter and the two girls who killed themselves in massachusetts that Never happened? Yes. It it was a surprise to me after reading the book, which was actually complimentary to the Warrens. It actually wasn't unlike the Enfield case where it was written by someone that told the Warrens to buzz off and stop making money off of these things. This was written by a journalist who thought that this couple had helped the situation to a degree 
But yes, when you look at the case that he had, I thought in reading it yesterday, and some of it was a little creepy, I'll be honest, the early chapters where we see this little boy seduced by strange men in the dark, it does have a predatory real world feel to it that made me feel like, ooh, this is, this is icky. But yes, they feel like they need to create an entirely new storyline to make this exciting as a movie in 2021. And so much of what the original case is stuff that we're going to get just a little bit of in the beginning and then left far behind. Uh, The plot that you're going to give, nothing to do with this case, really. But I'll be around to point out maybe parts that do have some documentation and reality. Yeah, that's the other thing about the trailers for this movie is every conjuring is the Warren's most dangerous case ever. Right. <laughs> like, wait, I thought the last movie was the most dangerous case ever. Yeah. They're always about to die. They're always on the verge or whatever. They've given away their daughter. Did they sell her to the Satan or something? Like, Yeah, she was there for like one scene and then you never saw her again. But then I kept getting her confused with the other girl. Mm-hmm. Whatever you think about them saving people from demons, terrible parents here. Really, I, I judged them harshly. <laughs> Since our last movie, though, I did have my own Annabelle experience. Annabelle experience. Um, I'm glad I wasn't home for this because I would have lost my crap. You found a raggedy Ann? Is that what happened? Yes. In my basement, which, as we talked about on previous shows, is haunted, my old house. I hope the new owner likes ghosts. Okay. <laughs> As I was moving out, the ghost actually spoke to one of my friends for the first time. He couldn't make out what was said, but he heard a voice when he was alone. So we're chalking that up to ghostly activity. I'm getting everything out of the basement. A friend of mine was helping me pack. I hear him scream. I go in. I'm like, did you cut yourself? And he shows – he just points at the box on the ground. He's like, (laughs) I opened that. I open it up. I don't know what this box is. And inside is a creepy freaking doll. It's kind of a Raggedy Ann. It's like a stuffed doll from the 40s. It, it is creepy. It is brown, even though it used to be white. And it is scary. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm curious, did you immediately take it to the dump? Did you set it on fire like an Uva Bowl disc? Or are you keeping it in a case? He texted me. He thought maybe it was something of mine. I'm like, I've never seen that doll in my life before. <laughs> I have no idea where this doll came from. I can't remember owning it. I don't remember anyone giving it to us. Stuart, I'm texting you a photo right now of this doll, and I will post it to our Facebook group. So if you're in our Facebook group, you can see this doll. This is not a joke. This is not a sketch. This isn't a video podcast or you'd be seeing the doll right now. There we go. Oh. Yeah, see? He texted that to me, and I'm like, oh my god, what is that? Catch me, yeah, that's for sure. But you, you got rid of the doll, though. Oh, the doll, I really wanted to burn the doll. I really did. I ended up, I had a dumpster. Oh, it's going to find you. You th- If you didn't burn the damn thing, it's coming for you. You think you're going to be unpacking like in a month. Mar- you, it won't even be you. Marjorie will be like putting away kitchen shit. That doll's coming out. <laughs> One of my friends suggested if I burned it, I might release the evil spirit within. So yes. I was hoping if it got buried in a dumpster. Well, now I don't want to unpack anything. And I was very thrilled that this house is not haunted. So thanks, Arnie. Isn't that a freaky-ass doll, though? You see why my friend literally screamed when he opened that box? Yeah, particularly not 
fitting in with the rest of your collection. I mean, like, I feel like it would, it really sticks out from uh, Star Wars and Marvel. And it was face up. It, I mean, it wasn't like it was in a do- box with other dolls. It was lying on its back, waiting to stare at you when you open the box. Yeah. It's not my doll. I thought maybe this is something, you know, Marjorie keeps some of her keepsakes from her grandmother. I'm like, is this your grandma's doll? Nope. This is from the era when dolls were like mop heads that they like sewed eyes onto. It's just yuck. Yeah, it's terrifying. More scary than any of the Conjuring films so far. But Arnie, go ahead and give them that plot and we can cut into why the devil made us do this series. It's 1981 and Ed and Lorraine Warren, again played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, are in Brookfield, Connecticut, exercising a demon out of eight-year-old David Glatzel. But the famed demonologists are unsuccessful, and David is saved by his sister's boyfriend, Arnie Johnson, because everyone named Arnie is a hero. (laughs) Arnie takes the demon into himself and out of David. Once possessed, Arnie murders his landlord, but in trial he pleads not guilty by reason of demonic possession. But Arnie's lawyer requires Ed and Lorraine prove demonic possession. So they investigate, finding a former priest named Kastner. Kastner broke his vow of celibacy and had a daughter, and the daughter became obsessed with the occult, including the Disciples of the Ram. Investigating further, they have to go to Danvers, Massachusetts, briefly, to investigate a murder of Katie Lincoln. Katie's friend Jessica is missing, and Katie was found stabbed in the woods. And Lorraine's psychic powers lets her relive that Jessica was possessed by the demon, killed her friend, and then ran off a cliff to her death. Back in Connecticut, Kastner's daughter summoned a spirit, and it went into David and then into Arnie. And it will not stop until it kills someone and takes its soul. Ed and Lorraine find Kastner's daughter's altar and get the demon out of Arnie. The priest's daughter comes to protect her altar and kills her father. The demon attacks the priest's daughter and kills her. Arnie does not get off scot-free, though. He should. Arnie is sentenced for manslaughter, but only serves five years as credits roll. Now, after this plot summary, I just want to ask, are the casts of these movies getting more B-level? Because... I mean, I'm thinking about the first film where there were a number of actors and actresses I knew from other stuff. Rod Livingston and Lily Taylor, yeah. Yeah, and notice how few names of actors I put in this plot summary, because I only bring up actors who you may know, listeners, or commonly know, and are able to visualize that person in that role. Here... Other than looking up and going, oh, that's Billy from WandaVision, the people have worked, but it does feel like a lower caliber. Maybe Wilson and Farmiga are just like, you want us back? We're taking a bigger share of the salary for actors, but I just feel like coming into this, there's a huge slate of unknowns. Yeah, and I've definitely felt that when the, when we've had those Conjuring movies without them, like La Llorona or The Nun, who were the, any of those people? It's always traded in B and C list casts. I guess I would frame it as, thank God they've had Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson to class the joint up. They have made this series look better because they're professional. I still really like them together and separate. I mean, I think she's a good actress. I like how they put the period clothes on her and they fit her so well. Like, she's like a timeless looking person. Like, she doesn't look out of place. Like, if you put those clothes on, say, like Aubrey Plaza, she'd look really out of place. Yeah. And Patrick Wilson, you know, I called him fake Will Arnett. He kind of is, but he's actually not horrible. I think Will Arnett wishes he had Patrick Wilson's career by this point. Yeah. 
At this point, yeah. Where is Will Arnett? I want to know what Patrick Wilson is using for skincare because he doesn't look like he's aged and neither does she. Probably the blood of demonically possessed people. Yeah, I mean, they look <laughs> we'll fantastic. We'll find out. But the point is, I really like them together. And I like the Ed and Warren stuff together because they just project sense such a sense of like caring about the people they're helping. They work well together. Is it wish fulfillment or have they said that this is their last film? I feel like I've heard this could be the end of something. I felt this was like their ending, like a swan song, because it was a personal thing, like where the demon lady was after them. And they had to defeat it with love. So I felt it was kind of the end. You see, the trailer hinted that this is their final outing. Right. But when I looked further into it, at no point has anybody said this is the end. There are plans for further Conjuring films. I can't imagine the Conjuring main series without... Ed and Lorraine. They're working on a Nun sequel right now and one other of the movies, but there are plans if this one does well. And as Marjorie said, it's a lot of people went out to see it in theaters. Not as many as went out for Quiet Place 2 last weekend, but this is beating Quiet Place 2 this weekend. It's the number one film. Assuming box office plus HBO Max is enough, it looks like The Conjuring 4 is in our future, if I can use my psychic powers. And I don't know that Vera and Patrick are such stars where they're like, no, I don't need the money. Yeah, I kind of think that this is their gig. And I get the sense that, yes, for reasons I thought that this would be building to them saying goodbye. But when we get this introductory scene and Patrick Wilson has a heart attack because it's so intense to perform this exorcism on this eight-year-old boy, I'm thinking, nah, this is just a way of giving him a story arc here, that we're to think of him as near death. And she's always in peril of the spirits getting her. They just want to show that they have a fight in this as well. Because, I, again, I want to remind you, the actual demon murder case from Connecticut, they like Amityville, they were barely there. A couple days. They really aren't. If you're telling that story, they're not going to be there a lot. Which is why we're coming here at the end. We're coming here when David is getting the spirit out. And it's jumping to Arnie. It's a pretty good scene. I, I will say that technically speaking, the house, the cinematography, I really like all the browns and oranges in the movie. I think it's got a good look. It reminds me of the 80s without being over the top. Yeah, and I thought that kid did a good job and as trying to act demonic and possessed and everything. And there are obviously some CGI bits where he contorted and everything. But I thought this kid was a little good actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you got to do it, and God knows, I've made the argument already, they've never perfected the exorcism or innovated it beyond what was done in the 1973 exorcist. This is the same shit. Writhe around, say offensive things, vomit, or at least, you know, in this case, I think it's more like foam. He's <laughs> foaming at the mouth, you know, clawing at the walls. That was like kind of a novel touch. But for the most part, we've all seen this routine before. If you read the book, it's about 100 pages of this. So I guess it's, it makes sense to start at the end of it and just show the leap, you know, like just show that the demon spares the child. I, he does knife his dad. That kind of gets undersold in this moment. But <laughs> he does come at his dad with a shank. Yeah, they even go to the Exorcist special edition in this one, though. He kind of contorts his body like the spider walk that the original effects didn't get right in the Exorcist. But then they CGI'd in the special edition of Reagan coming down the stairs all contorted here. 
I don't care what this demon does. That kid's got a broken back. It feels like uh, they're doing uh what was that stupid thing that jumped out of the zoetrope? The crooked man or whatever? Yeah, crooked the man. same kind of like jittery Michael Jackson thriller moves here. It feels like yeah, we've seen it a hundred million times. And I mean, they're going for the Exorcist very clearly because Father Gordon arrives outside. They again do the Exorcist shot of shooting him from behind. I bet if you overlaid that with Max von Sydow from the Exorcist, you're like, okay, that is just immediately the same shot, same framing, same positioning. It is, but I, I guess my compliment to them is they know that this is a retread. They don't spend the whole movie building up to this. They realize this is an opener and not a climax, which it could easily have been near the end of the film. It was near the end of the book. And they are just like, nah, we're going to just set you up with the hook that Ed knows the demon jump bodies, but he's comatose. The heart attack puts him out. And so will he wake up in time enough to stop the demon from using his new victim to kill? We get some other stuff in here. We get David in the bathtub, kind of... Is that a psycho thing where we see the demon outside the shower curtain? And I know that the director here specifically said he wanted to put in homages to a lot of horror movies he liked when he was growing up. So that's where my radar is. As I'm watching every scene, like, what are you imitating? Yeah, which is a good <laughs> way to approach the entire Conjuring universe. It is about recycling the past. Its audiences are youth that don't go and watch old movies. Everyone wins, right? Nobody feels like it's plagiarism. It feels innovative because they've done it in a splashy retro way. But Arnie, the, the killer is an Arnie. How do you feel about that, Arnie? I know I always wince when Stewarts are in movies. <laughs> I usually do, but this one isn't mentally challenged and he's right? not falling all over himself. He, you know, I, I think of Arnie both as, you know, he's not sleazy like Corbin Burnson in L.A. Law. This is a wholesome Arnie you root for. I like this Arnie. It's spelled differently, though. He skipped the I. He's Arn, I thought. And I knew he was going to be, well, I thought he was going to be our main character from the trailers and things, and knowing that this is his trial, it's shocking to me how little Arnie is in this film, too. He's got the beginning here, where we're going to play up his Blondie murder, but they leave him in a jail cell as Ed and Lorraine go and have their adventures. Yeah, and again, I think that's... What has happened for this series, if you look at Conjuring, the original, is that they had no problem giving Lily Taylor an hour to set up her family in the clapping game and get possessed. That was fine because nobody knew about the Warren. But this has now become a Warren show, and there's this pressure, it seems like, to make them the stars, the focal characters. Is that a bad instinct? I like the actors, and as Marjorie pointed out, their cheesy love affair in some ways is the best thing going. It's the closest thing we have to likability when it comes to these characters, but it doesn't really serve the stories and the problems that they're trying to solve. That's why it felt like this kind of seemed like an ending because it was more about their togetherness. I mean, they had a crisis where he was in the hospital with the heart problem and they were apart and they kept going back to their old romance when they met and being in the gazebo and making out. The focus on them, I felt, made the demonic possession secondary and this was just a way for us to get a whole bunch of Ed and Lorraine doing couples things. But is that a good idea? I didn't think it was bad in this. Yeah, it's not bad. It felt like a nice send-off. 
Yeah, I agree. It's particularly if it is a send-off, which I'm with Arnie. I don't think it is, but maybe it is if this doesn't make money. It's the attitude they're taking. We're just going to make sure that we can keep going forward and Mm -hmm. it'll work either way. But I guess all I'm saying, and I don't know Conjuring fans, we're not Conjuring fans, but I'm wondering if the Conjuring fan would accept a movie that was more about Arnie. Because I do think his story is more interesting. The creepiest stuff was the little kid getting possessed in that book. So I feel like they threw out a lot in order to make the Warrens the star. Mm -hmm. I did find it interesting that little David could jump on Ed and be like, I'm taking your heart, old man. A, how old is Ed? (laughs) B, that a demon could just put a little hand on Ed's chest and cause him to have a heart attack. This is more than we've seen before. Usually... In demon form, there's a danger, but when in human form, the demons just usually stab you or do some kind of human thing. They'll shoot you with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. And this introduces, yes, Ed Warren's entire plot of, oh my god, he had a heart attack. We're going to put in a stent. It's 1981. Everybody's like, (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) this is not a baboon heart or artificial heart. Yeah, I mean, it, these days it's like you're putting in a stent. It's like, okay, a little reason to be concerned, but it's, you know, common surgery. All surgeries are dangerous, but okay, let's just kind of stay on edge. But in 1981, that was like new shit. Yeah, experimental, right? Yeah, like, oh my God, I've never heard of this. But th- again, that's part of the fun of this series too, is to go back and remember when. And, and again, we're now entering a time where we were children and we remember this. We weren't quite the age of David, but... Kind of, you know, we we would have been age appropriate to David. Is it a mistake that we leave David behind? I guess maybe I'm my perspective is colored by reading the book, but I would have liked to see more build up. I wish we weren't already enmeshed in the Warrens and had a little bit more time with the little kid and, you know, maybe less at the dog grooming place. Like we get all of this stuff <laughs> with Arnie trying to like fight off a vision of this. Well, we'll find out it's uh, Isla is her name, but it's this pale woman that looks like she would shush you in a library. I have to give them a compliment here on making this woman look absolutely demonic, but yet strangely, like where you you couldn't stop looking at her because you're like, how did they do this? Does this woman really look like this? And she doesn't in real life, but they did a really good job of making her look evil. I thought it was going to be more balanced, honestly, because we get to the heart attack, we see a little Isla, but then we have a flashback to, you know, where do we start? At the beginning. You know, I thought this was going to be two tales in parallel. Mm -hmm. I thought we were going to have the present with Arnie's trial and the past with David's possession. But we really don't have that. We have story A is the Warrens doing stuff. Story B is Arnie and the dog kennel and murder. And then we get briefly a little bit more of David, which is he got possessed by waterbed, which was also a big 80s thing. Yeah, I had a waterbed. Here, the director was a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master, and one of the people working on this film was the effects guy from Nightmare 4. He's like, tell me how you did that film, and they recreated the practical effects here. This is just like Joey, how's this for a wet dream, an homage and a recreation. And again, I think more of that 
would have been fun. I mean, I see the need to get the Warrens involved and make them the central active character, and the setup has to be Arnie's already committed this murder, and we got to get him off. But I don't know. Yeah, I would. I could have used more hallucinogenic Nightmare on Elm Street imagery, unless there's a witch cult that sprawls all throughout Massachusetts. I, <laughs> that that was less interesting to me. Actually, it's Danvers, which just a fun little fact. When I went to Salem, I found out that the Salem witch trials didn't actually happen there. It was in Danvers. So if you, they changed the, the location so that they would never have to deal with the tourists in the baggage. But Danvers is the home for witches. That feels like some kind of t-shirt, some kind of brochure. All right. This is the most damning thing about this Conjuring movie is the previous two Conjurings have had those great games, the clap game and the basements and the sound and, you know, wait three beats and something's going to jump out at you. This one is completely without the suspense scares of the previous two. It's like, I know it's a different director. He's definitely taking it in a different direction. If what you enjoyed about the previous two Conjuring films is the tenseness as Lily Taylor is looking in the closet and gonna get you now and all of that, none of it's in here. If that's what you want, skip this movie. Yeah. Well, see, now I saw this in the theater and... People were scared. People, every time they showed, like, the totem or there was a demon, people were reacting. And I don't know if it's just because we've all been starved for group experiences for a year and a half now or what, but... People in my theater were, like, really into the stuff, and I'm like, this isn't scary. Why are these people acting like this is scary? Why does a stick figure bother them? Yeah, I'm like, what is going on? Did they never see Blair Witch? That was far worse with the little pouch with teeth. The only thing close to that would be the actual murder event. But Arnie doesn't perceive himself as a demon. He thinks he's being stalked by demons. And so when he's at his tree surgeon job, and the woman appears in the window of a nearby house, and he drops the chainsaw, and he's traumatized by what's coming for him. And he doesn't, in his mind, kill the dog grooming owner of the place. He thinks that a demon was running at him and he acted in self-defense. So that, to me, feels like the only tense, scary, jump-scare attack that you're talking about, Arnie. And you're right. It isn't constructed and certainly isn't implemented in the way that the clap game pleased us so much. And this was the one new thing I'll give this movie, because everything else feels like we've seen it before in previous Conjuring films or Annabelle films or Nun films. But the one thing this gave us is point of view of the possessed. The red filter, the way Call Me is supposed to be a scary song. Listen, that works for some old songs, okay? I've even seen <laughs> Gary Newman's Cars made scary by the show Nip Tuck. Now, I, I can't listen to Cars without getting weirded out. Blondie ain't it. Yeah, Call Me is, no, that's forever rooted with American Gigolo for me, but now, anyway. Have we gotten so old now? Are we that old where songs from like when we are very little are now the scary songs for the kids today? Mm -hmm. They're the golden oldies that, yeah, signify something bad is about to happen. New wave, apparently. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That song doesn't work. Just to understand the facts of the case, Bruno was the boss of Debbie, and he was a drunk, but Debbie didn't live with him. Debbie lived with Arnie. Debbie does Arnie in Dallas? Maybe <laughs> Debbie does Bruno, or maybe Bruno was just drunk and inappropriate, but it looks to me, on the face of it, 
like a case of a jealous lover that stabbed a guy that was acting out of line and was drunk at the time and doing obnoxious things. But there's no reason to conclude that this couldn't have a real-world psychological reason for the murder. You're after my girlfriend. I'm going to stab you. And apparently in real life, there was a fight between them that ended in the stabbing. Now, he still said it was the demon. The interesting thing about the real case is they didn't have Arnie's fingerprints on the knife. So in some ways, even though he was covered in blood and some of the girls, his sisters and Debbie saw the fight, nobody saw the knife get used and nobody could tie Arnie to the knife that had caused the wounds that killed Bruno. So that was really the hang up with the case. And demon possession was not an angle that they even needed to go. <laughs> but I do love the fact that they convinced the lawyer that Ed and Lorraine go to the lawyer and like, just come over for dinner and meet Annabelle and you'll be on our side. I wish we had that scene, but it's funny to know that she goes from, there's no way I'm arguing this in court, to absolutely, this is what we're going to present with the grand jury. Yeah, the look on her face was nice, and it would have been nice to see that middle part, at least to add something really unnerving to the movie. Yeah, she's not much of a character. Maybe that's not a problem. Again, you just have to accept the fact that we're in Act 2, and now it's about finding witches and totems. And... They go to this old priest who at first I thought was the cigarette-smoking man from the X-Files, and then I thought was somebody young in old man makeup, but no, it's just a, a freaky-looking old man. They yeah. cast well for this part because he does not look naturally old. No, but you know he's the evil guy. Like, it has mm -hmm. to be, because he's got, like, the little artifacts room of his own. And they walk in there, and you can see them judging. Arnie, is it like this when you guys meet other Star Wars collectors? Do you go in there and be like, ooh, you just throw it on the ground, do you? You don't take care of it in the case? Sometimes, but other times it's like, wow, I need to do what you do. So <laughs> I'm not always judgy. I'm often in awe. But once in a while... I'm not going to name any names, but I did go to a vermin-infested house with Star Wars collections. So. The one where I got bit by some unknown objects or bugs yes. as we were walking through. As we were walking through. Oh, my God. They need less at-ats and more glue traps. Yeah, I hear yeah. you. <laughs> well, anyway, it's just kind of a cute moment, but it really makes you ask, why would the Warrens need to go to another expert? They're the experts. They shouldn't be asking some other dude about a cult of the Ram or something like that. That's their raison d'etre. They should... So I knew the second that they had to ask this guy and bring him into the plot that he was the one behind it all. I thought he was the head warlock of a big cult. Yeah, I did too. His creepy smile. You know, that's why I thought he was the cigarette-smoking man. He's got this weird smile that never leaves his face. He's got these occult items and... The Warrens are like, they should all be burned, but I think the Warrens themselves said if you burn these objects, then you release the spirits. That's why they keep them in a room. So I just knew that this guy, it would have been cooler if there was a professional rivalry. Like he was trying to mm -hmm. beat the demon first, yeah. but instead, because this guy is here just as a early scene, I'm like, okay, he's going to come back later. He's going to have knowledge of the evil. I didn't necessarily think he was the cause of the evil. I also didn't think he was the father of the evil, but I knew he had more information than he gives in this early scene. I felt like this guy, while they made him look creepy, I feel like this role was made for like Ron Perlman or something like that. Yeah, he, I mean, if they would pay Ron's price, it would be Yeah, I mean, I understand he probably costs a little more, but mm -hmm. yeah, I just, yeah, I figured this guy was kind of into it somehow, but I hadn't figured it out yet, which is surprising because usually I figure this stuff out when we watch these movies. 
Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe we're thinking about other things because it's kind of scattered. They're jumping all around and we're cutting back and forth to jail and suddenly we're going to Danvers and all of that. The scene goes by so quick, maybe you don't give it any consideration at all. But to me, they really showed their hands because the scene was so worthless. I was like, well, we're going to have to come back to this guy for a meaningful reason. He's got to be the killer. But, we're, you know, we're on the hunt for Totem. The waterbed wasn't haunted, but underneath the house where the waterbed was set, they had this ugly bone sculpture thing, a witch's totem, and that also has popped up in the stabbing of a teenage girl, Katie Lincoln. The police haven't even connected that her best friend stabbed her, but her best friend is missing, and Katie was found with 22 puncture marks. How did they not put A and B together? Two girls, Woods, one goes missing. Uh, yeah, but that cop clearly didn't care about the case. You know, they, they're probably dealing with witches all the time, right? It's Danvers. Like, this is the home of the witches. So this is where we get to see Lorraine do some stuff. So far, it's been kind of an Ed movie. And Lorraine is going to kind of do what she did in Conjuring 2. Remember when she kind of, like, goes into that trance and reenacts the DeFeo shotgun murders in the house? Mm-hmm. Here, we're going to see her turn into Jessica and stab an imaginary Katie as she's wandering through the woods. It's kind of an effective, it works in The Conjuring too, and I think it, it's an effective scene here as well. She did this a few times in this movie too, which was kind of made the movie a little different because we're kind of getting more of the scare of it. And then instead of just seeing it, we saw more of her acting it out rather than the actual scene. So I feel it added a little element of not necessarily scare, but creepiness. It makes her more important. If nothing else, the Warrens suddenly feel really important to all this stuff, rather than background spectators and con artists that are trying to work their way into something that has nothing to do with them. You're right, because she does the same thing when they finally find the murderess at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, she breaks into the morgue and does the same thing. That's actually how she meets Isla. This movie is shorter than a lot of Conjuring films. We come in at about 100 minutes plus 10 minutes of credits, and it felt like they were looking for a little bit of filler and a little bit more of a body count, which the Conjuring films had never gone for. A lot of times the Conjuring films were bloodless or poor puppy, but here it's like we wanted to see more murders. And, you know, we saw Arnie stab Bruno, and now we get to see this one girl stab this other girl who may or may not be her lover. I The way they're looking at each other and giving each other bracelets, I kind of think that there is a beautiful creatures kind of connection going on there. It's crazy because later we'll realize that the three possessions that happen, one's a lover, one's a child, and one's a man of God. I'm like, yeah, the girls are the lover. No, I actually think we're supposed to think Arnie is the lover and this is the child. But I agree with you, Arnie. That's very debatable. Yeah, I thought they were together too and it was a forbidden love because of the time period yeah 81 it wouldn't have been cool with the parents to come out no. that way, i would guess and so whatever reason the moment is undersold and played up more as a shocking death scene that you're right conjuring doesn't usually do that we don't usually see a slasher scene in a conjuring movie better for it maybe just different. It felt like I wasn't necessarily in a Conjuring film. It felt like I was in a bit more of a slasher. It just, again, James Wan is producing, James Wan had story control, but this doesn't feel like the same movies James Wan has made in this series. It does feel, you know, it's not nearly as gory as Saw, but it does feel a little bit more in the slasher, gore direction. Which feels appropriate. We're in the 80s now. Like, we're not doing 
in seventies mood and atmosphere. Like I, I feel like changing with the times is what's happening. And as someone that didn't recommend the first two Conjuring, I see these things as improvements. I'm going to actually say I find myself having a better time in this movie than previously. Although at the same time, I can recognize they don't have any good suspense scenes like the other two, you know, would pull out every now and then. I just was somewhat frustrated because this movie was seeming scattered. Every time I'm like, oh, they're going to this priest. This priest is going to have something. Oh, they're going to Massachusetts. Massachusetts is going to have something. Oh, they're going to Connecticut. Connecticut's going to have something. I'm not sure with all of these various things and Lorraine showing off her powers to this cop who's never going to be in the film again completely focuses on its plot. It feels like a collection of clips, like a horror movie greatest hits of all the conjurings. Yeah, which and that last Annabelle movie also had a similar quality to that. I will say if they're if they're doing that, could we get that scene with her and Dead Elvis? I would have really liked that. <laughs> it was kind of a funny moment when they're listening to suspicious minds and she deadpans that she met it, the king. Yeah. I was really hoping for something with Elvis at that point. Val Kilmer could use the work. He could reprise his role from True Romance. <laughs> I don't think they'd call Val. The movie really starts to pick up on the occult or creepiness at this point where Lorraine, she sees the altar. They know it's underground somewhere. They heard trains and there was water. Mm -hmm. So Lorraine is able to make a connection with Isla and Isla is able to make the connection back, which is something we've not seen in previous Conjuring movies. And this was the girl who fell off the cliff, right? She was, they found the body, took her to the morgue. Jessica, yeah. They had to touch the body and it felt a little reanimator to me when a corpse rose up and it had the autopsy vivisection scars and is naked and starts running at Ed. I'm like, you're again, reanimator, early eighties. You're kind of hitting me where I live. Yeah, it might be going for that a little. I was just thinking they were, by lying and not telling the true story, it's now feeling more and more like an insidious movie. And, like, this is the further, right? Like, suddenly we're just in that other James Wan series where you can go meet ghosts and see what happens. And we're meeting the main villain at this point. We don't know her name yet. We don't know her backstory. But she has this underground altar and black candles. And she likes to possess people and make them kill and even lift up fat zombies in this morgue and have them bum rush Lorraine. <laughs> I love how black candles symbolize evil because mm. she wouldn't just use red or white or anything like that. Mm -mm. Goop candles for the exorcism would be funny. But yeah, yeah I mean, everybody <laughs> needs a vagina candle in their exorcism, right? Maybe. But it's no matter what you think of the Warrens, if you believe every story they told is 100% true or you are more skeptical the way the, all of us are, then nothing that they've ever said is as fantastical as, and then the dead body jumped up and rushed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They would never lay claim to this. And so... It's feeling different. I will say this. If my concern was that this would start to feel tired and I've seen it all before, I will say that I'm finding myself stimulated by this movie because it's got different moods. I can feel that a different director is at the helm. We're in a different era. 
There's a different aesthetic to the horror. I don't know that it's going to please fans of the old movie. In fact, I imagine many people are missing the clapping game or the zoetrope that spews out Crooked Man or all those silly sideline things that have a self-contained short movies that work in that way. The fat zombie here is literally, I think, the only thing in this movie that could get its own spinoff. Usually they're setting up five right. other films in The Conjurings. Right. And we don't even get a name for him. Or, yeah, they don't work very hard to spin him off. I don't know if he was a biker or, or what the what is what, what put him in this morgue but yes this does feel like a very different conjuring indeed meanwhile we are cutting back to seeing arnie every now and then but you feel like his story is already played out like i don't know what i'm supposed to get out of him being in prison spilling buckets while he mops and maybe possibly going to kill himself breaking vials of holy water, slashing his wrist. Here's where it gets confusing is if the demon can jump around as we've seen it possessed dead zombies and all this stuff, why are we still focused on Arnie at this point? Is he just like the home base and the demon's able to roam whenever he wants? It's like an open possession kind of thing? I don't think that was the demon in the morgue. I think that was the occultist, as she is credited, the daughter of the priest, whereas the demon is still in Arnie. And when the other priest gives Arnie the little vial of holy water, I couldn't tell, is this like, here's a little vial of holy water to protect yourself? Or is it, here's some glass, slash your wrists? Yeah, we've never seen Father Newman before, so I didn't know how to read him. He seemed like he was not very good at his job. Whether he is a force of good or evil, he's not very effective. This guy neither kills himself nor benefits from having the holy water. So Okay, I was racking my brain just trying to figure out if this guy had some kind of key pivotal role that I couldn't remember in the previous films. I'm like, do we know this guy? We've seen him. And then I worried I was getting confused with Insidious because of Patrick Wilson mm. and it just made a mess. So I'm glad that he didn't appear in other things because I was very confused about him. I don't recognize him, and I feel like maybe he had more scenes that would have established him better, but they just decided, hey, let's cut him down. He's not why we're here. Someone at the top said, this is about the Warrens. We make all of this about the Warrens. So when we do cut back and see the character that's impacted by all of this... Do you guys feel like you're rooting for Arnie? Arnie particularly, I, I feel like you've got a, a dog in that race with him being named Arnie. But do <laughs> you want him to beat this rap? Do you think it's unfair that he's standing trial for having killed somebody? I was rooting actually for the Warrens. I don't think they established any kind of emotional connection with Arnie. They built up the Warrens more because you saw when they met. Yes. Their first date and everything. I wonder if maybe like that we're supposed to see that in parallel. Like they see themselves in this young couple. Like this Debbie and Arnie are really like us as young people. And we're supposed to, because we like the Warrens, also like, want to see this couple make it and beat this rap. They did not set that up enough. We did not get enough of the romance between these two other than little David asking Arnie, when are you going to ask my sister to marry her? <laughs> yeah. Well, he carried Debbie over the threshold of the house and yeah. talked about marriage. But th that's it. In the first five minutes, you got that's it out of their relationship. I mean, they had a brief thing at the dog kennel, but... It was more about Ed and Lorraine. And it's hard to make a dog kennel scene sexy. I just it is. It's You're surrounded so by dogs yapping in cages. It's just yeah. not going to be a Julia Roberts rom-com. It's just not. <laughs> but it might be must-love dogs. <laughs> 
Uh, you would know I've never seen that movie, <laughs> nor would I want to. But yeah, I'm just kind of neutral on Arnie, and maybe I spoiled this movie for myself by the fact that I couldn't wait for the movie to know the real story, because I don't trust these movies to tell me the real story. Nor should you. Despite how this movie plays it, Arnie did not rule demonic possession. He tried to plead demonic possession, and the judge was like, no, you're, I'm not allowing this in my court. <laughs> It's unprovable, no. And so they ended up pleading and getting manslaughter out of it, and he only served five years of a 10 to 20 sentence. I didn't know if they'd go that way in this film, but knowing what I knew, I was like, I don't think Arnie's getting off scot-free. I was curious if the demon within Arnie would cause him to do more bad things, and yeah, he spills a mop bucket, and some guys supposedly sing Call Me in a creepy way. That's where I'm like, that song was the wrong choice. <laughs> Pull some Pink Floyd if you could afford it, something, but not Call Me. I mean, even Ripper to Shreds by Blondie would be better than having some creepy guy. I go, color me with kisses, baby. <laughs> it really is. It is. Well, whoever's making these musical choices, huge miscalculation. <laughs> I think my Sharona would work better. Like, ooh, my little pretty one. <laughs> I think the real problem, though, is, is we're to worry that he's going to hurt himself. But if you're possessed by a demon, you're not putting the demon on suicide watch. You're afraid the demon's going to kill you and other people. It's like I would be worried for Debbie, not for Arnie in this situation. So it's kind of weird. It takes me a long time to realize, oh, the demon just wants to take his soul to hell and is trying to find ways to slit his wrist or hang himself. The ticking clock in all of the previous Conjuring films, both, is that we have to stop this demon before the demon in this person kills this other person. Like, they always find out, right. oh, it's still in him, and they're going to kill their spouse right, right. over there. And here, if they were going to fictionalize the story, get Arnie out on bail. Then Arnie is a danger. Arnie is right. trapped in a prison. What's he going to do to Debbie when she visits? Like, yes. it, attack in front of all the prison guards? Or David, little david build up the idea that they both have the demon and maybe it goes between them or he'll hurt the kid yeah I, I agree you want the sense of danger not that this sad sack romantic is maybe going to off himself in prison that might be sad but that's not suspenseful and then it gets real confusing because we're supposed to realize that ed might kill lorraine they get back home and suddenly a totem has been sent to them in a get well flower vase and Ed thinks that, you know, he's just... Uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining? Well, no, he thinks he's got a rosary and is telling the fat zombie to get out of their house. But in fact, he's got a knife and he's coming at Lorraine. And I forgot they had this, like, sidekick guy. Yeah, totally forgot about him. And the, throughout the whole period where he's there, he looks like he's frightened slash puzzled. But nothing ever comes of that. I thought he was the guy from Insidious. I'm like, wait... <laughs> Yeah, no, Drew Thomas, like, what it is is it's been so long since the first movie, he's just aged too much. Like, he just, like, doesn't look like he used to. So it was, it was, I'm like, why is this guy still around? Oh, it's the same actor. It's the same character as we've seen filming other of the Warren's adventures. But where's the daughter? I mean. 
<laughs> right. Is she off at college? Right. How long has it been? I mean, they get a gift basket from the Perone. It's been 10 years. The first one took place in 1971. This is 1980. And they're still getting gift baskets from Lily Taylor? Wow. I mean, I guess when you're saved from demon, you, you're very grateful. Every year, you, you give them the Harry, the Harry and David fruit basket, I guess. But, okay. So 10 years on, Judy would be, you're right. She could actually be in the role of Debbie if you were really fictionalizing it. If you really wanted us to see this young couple as a young Ed and Lorraine and maybe be passing the baton for them, then maybe they should have just said this was Judy getting mixed up with Arnie. Or is that just too much of a betrayal to the truth? I don't know. I think they have to hew somewhat to the truth a little bit, or they just risk. The core Conjuring franchise has always tried to stick a little bit to the truth. You know, we've called out every way in which they lie. And I resent them for that. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm of the mind now, like, just pretend this is something that you can change and grow and make the characters more interesting because you, you know, you just can fictionalize it. But at least they're not going La Llorona here, you know? They never claim La Llorona or the Annabelle spin-off movies or the nun are all true stories the way they do with conjuring. So I yes, you're right. When it's conjuring and they did start it with that scroll that said this is a true story. I mean, so yes, I guess they can't just say, "Well, we'll have Judy like get engaged to the murderer." Like, all right, we, we won't do that. If this were an insidious movie, you would have done that. So that's why I think Insidious is always going to be more satisfying than Conjuring's. And Lynn Shea is just eminently more interesting as a demonologist than Vera Farmiga. Vera Farmiga is the better actress, but Lynn Shea is the better demonologist. And Lynn Shea can go into the background, too. Like, she can, she's comfortable being supporting, and the Warrens have to be front and center here. Yeah, I think that Lynn Shea does a little better because she's slightly quirky. She's a little quirky-looking. She did really good in Insidious, and Vera just is a lady you want sitting next to you holding your hand when you're sick. Yeah, I mean, I like both, but Vera is the way I look at it is Vera is the star. There's no Mm -hmm. way that she's going to be like, I'll just show up in the last 10 minutes. I know she did that for Annabelle, but that was probably contractual. Like, for a Conjuring (laughs) movie, Vera is going to insist that I am the focal point. That's what stars do. They stand in the spotlight, but that puts the demons and the true story in the background. You lost something there. But now we have this other thing. And we're at the end, by the way. Like, now they know they've got to find this altar that she had a vision of, and so... Uh, Ed is going to be combing through maps and trying to figure out what connects all of the three cases to the same location. And Lorraine is going to say, oh, let me take this book to that character who's also a demonologist and it'll put me in danger because, of course, his house is where the altar is. All good investigative work requires a map on your wall and pushpins. Obviously, the guy just watched Zodiac that we reviewed last Friday. I mean, it shows you're committed, right? If you're going to put it up on your wall. It does. I mean, you're serious about finding this. It's like Charlie Day and Always Sunny, <laughs> right? When he's got all the <laughs> pins on the wall. And... But it's the light bulb moment that, oh, it wasn't just that she was far off in Danvers. She went to college right around the corner. So it all of this... All of these totems have to be originating from somewhere where there's a train and there's water. And that <laughs> that has to be Father Kastner's house. And, of course, he's also just been creepy and we haven't liked him from the moment, you know, he, he turned around and said, I have, what, like 
dog shit on my hands or something like for, for chicken the, shit. Yeah, chicken shit. For the word jump, he's been real gross. And of course, Lorraine is now in like being beckoned down into his lair so that he can break out the family scrapbook. I don't get this. I'll be honest. I don't understand. He he was a priest that had a, a love child and then taught her the occult so that she would never be persecuted. Maybe. I didn't understand that either because does no one go into this place where the Catholic Church is keeping the occult items either? Is this guy solely the person responsible? I, that's the way I take it. The Catholic Church collects... You know, like Ed and Lorraine, they don't give it to Ed and Lorraine. They are competitors. We have our <laughs> own artifacts barn, uh, and uh, we just put all of this stuff here. And so we'll put this scandalized priest uh, who had a child here, and he'll try to teach her things with these possessed things, but it will actually make her want to be in the occult and summon demons or something. Here's what I took it is, you know, I think they were setting this up with that priest that we don't know what he's doing when he's in the jail cell trying to exercise Arnie. Different priest. Yes, but showing the role of a priest in an exorcism, what I took it as is this caster was involved in some way with the Catholic Church investigating the Disciples of the Ram. Mm -hmm. He had become an occult specialist while a priest. But he wasn't a good priest because he had sex with a woman who died during childbirth. And so now he's a father and you can't be a father and a father. I mean, like that's their worst problem right now. Okay, Catholic. (laughs) So he continued his investigation into the occult and it backfired and his daughter also became an occultist. Yeah, we don't even really know that cult of the ram shit. Like, that was just something somebody said on the way to somewhere. Like, I feel like all of this storyline is really coming out of nowhere here at the end. And I don't I don't need to get it, I guess. Maybe that's the spinoff film. Yeah, I mean, it could be because there's been so little development here. But who wants to see Ilsa play around with bad things and then say, so here's all I need to understand. She's not dead. She didn't die tragically or something like that. She lives with him still as some spinster occultist who goes down in the basement of the basement to perform black magic rituals because. Does she still live with him? I thought she came back to protect her altar, and that's why she kills him, is because he he gave away her secrets. Well, what does she do in a day job? I mean, I, that's, that is the question I wanted to know. Like, where do you use this woman in the day? Like, does she have an identity of being the librarian? Does she serve me my school lunch? I don't know, but wherever she is, she's in customer service. Yes, I, I agree with that. She's got the, <laughs> she got the disposition in the face to really turn you down no matter what help you're asking. For. <laughs> and so, okay, she's evil specter woman. We've seen this a lot. And now we're in the climax because she's going to come and slash daddy's throat and go after Lorraine in the basement. So they're in the tunnel and it is nowhere near as good as like the basement from Conjuring 2 in the UK. That may be, but the endings are always terrible on these films. Think about like jumping out the window and impaling yourself on the tree or Lily Taylor like climbing through the walls like a rat or something like that. Like it always goes sideways in these Conjuring finales. I actually find the fact that it's them running around a tunnel to be somewhat more quaint like it's less offensively stupid and i kept thinking that when he was possessed and they're running through this tunnel he kept smashing the supports and so i thought for sure there's gonna be a cave-in at some point 
See, him with that mallet is where I thought The Shining. I'm like, is that a croquet mallet he's got there? <laughs> it was, yes, the Steven Weber Shining I was thinking of. Oh, wow. But... Okay. <laughs> he did this in the Insidious 2 movie as well. We've seen him lose his mind and attack his family before. But, yes, this is Vera, and they've, certainly in this one, we've had flashbacks to their first dates, and they've really played up the fact that love has been their strength. And for some reason... Isla thinks the love will be their undoing. I don't know. Lines of dialogue imply that she thinks that he's ready to bash her head in. No, all it takes is Vera to remind him that they once hung out in a pagoda and danced. So kissing, kissing—that's what I've been missing in the pagoda. <laughs> <laughs> he brings the the sledgehammer down on the altar, and that's all it takes to stop all of the evil. Like I wasn't even sure if that was intentional. Like he's. Lorraine is in front of the altar. He takes another swing, which I think is at her. She dodges. The altar smashes. I'm like, was the demon <laughs> possessing him just screwed up? And and meanwhile, Arnie's like floating in the air at this point. Like, we're in the exorcist at the prison. No prison guards. Nobody's there. Yeah. Except for that priest and Betty and Arnie floating around. I think there's somebody behind protective glass somewhere with a microphone but she's not calling for help and Mm-mm. like i just left to like go get a sandwich or something like yeah <laughs> the sirens are going off but like this is the perfect time for a prison break right like like okay let's all leave now because arnie's like possessed and blowing holes in all the windows bring down the <laughs> bars as we're wrapping up here i agree it doesn't feel as intense and over the top is what we've seen before, but I'm just going to go ahead and say better for it. I actually find myself recognizing the stupidity, of course, but still feeling like, I don't know, this is uh, more entertaining, less infuriating, uh, better display for the Warren's love and their powers. I wish the occultist was set up better. When she's coming yes. down there and they're like, the demon's not leaving without a soul. It's taking yours. And, you know, that ironic ending that always happens, the evil person is defeated by what it was. I think every single episode of Friday the 13th, the series, had this ending. Mm-hmm. And I wish I knew more about her and it was set up. We know so much more about that ghost from part two that hung herself or all of these various... Well, that was Bathsheba from part one, and Valak was the nun from part two, but... That's right, but we know their names. We don't right. even know the occultist's name. You're, uh, Isla. And I have to keep, you know, again, I'm singing Madonna songs as I'm racking my brain. I'm like, <laughs> what was she? Okay, yeah. She wasn't very threatening other than her appearance, because they didn't give her time to, like, be in the background at places or something like that, you know, like, in the prison or something, standing off in the back and no one saw her. She wasn't observing her possessions. We should have seen her kill the dog groomer. If we actually saw her use that knife, she's always got a knife. She's always making people stab 22 times. But we needed to see her wield that knife. We needed to believe that she was going to get Lorraine when she had Lorraine down on the ground and the knife above her. I I, I agree. They needed to spend more time showing how scary this woman was with a kitchen blade. Did they ever explain why she always stabbed the same amount of times? I don't even know what she does. Like, again, she, he had a daughter and what? I mean, I, there's just nothing to this character. I would really like to know more than I had a daughter that got possessed. I don't know. Didn't even become possessed, just became a cult member and then invoked a demon who possessed people. 
Oh, so you think that she just got in the cult and then decided she wanted to raise demon. Yeah. Not that a demon possessed her from the occult items. Right. Okay, maybe. That's why the demon can kill her at the end, is... And they say something about, like, you summoned a demon who's not going back without a soul. Okay. Sure. All right. I'll go with that. But I will I will say, even for a Conjuring movie, maybe the worst villain they've had. Yeah. I think this is their worst villain so far, just because they don't do a good job of setting her up. Maybe La Llorona, if that even counts. Because, again, was that even a Conjuring movie? But La Llorona was equally kind of background, you know? Like, you want a, you want the monster to be, like, something you fear is coming for you. And there's no sense of danger from this woman. And after the demon leaves him, I really did think, okay, they're ending the trilogy. They're killing Ed Warren. He didn't take his medicine with him. He's having a heart attack again. And I'm like, I do know Ed died before Lorraine. I'm like, is Vera going to carry this franchise on her on her own? Are they going to do that? Yeah. It's cheaper to make these movies if we don't have to pay Patrick. But no, he's fine. Again, two heart attack scares in one movie and no consequences. No, the point is that she had his heart medicine in her locket. They're made for each other because he's always got her back. He'll come save her with the sledgehammer and then she'll give him a pill so he doesn't drop dead. (laughs) I know. So Ed takes that totem, which... Looks like a bad version of the Holy Grail from Indiana Jones and puts it in his on a shelf. And Arnie is getting his day in court and he looks at Debbie and Debbie's sitting between the Warrens. And then Ed bought a gazebo. Yeah, just like the one that was there at their first date. Like, why not take her there? Like, why actually <laughs> recreate a replica in your backyard? Because it's a nice backyard decoration. A lot of people have them in their backyards. Okay, but, you know, a lot of people don't have, like, killer dolls and stuff nearby. Like, you know that they're just going to end up fighting some demon in his pagoda very soon. (laughs) But then, yes, as I mentioned, we get to hear the real tapes. And we see some photos. None of the photos are, like, part one, where you see the kids, like, laughing as they're doing the supposed floating and all of that. Here, the photos are not all that interesting. It shows how correct they did the costuming. Yeah, it it shows that this really wasn't, for all of the hoopla, this quote-unquote possession really isn't very well documented. You'd need to make up a lot of bullshit in order to call this a horror movie. But was this a horror movie or was it bullshit? Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It? Marjorie. This is a tough one. I had not seen any trailers because I haven't been to a movie in a very long time. I think the last time I saw a movie was the private showing that you and I had done, I think, last summer. And I didn't have cable in the setup in the new house until the day before I saw this movie, so I saw no trailers. I had nothing, to, no idea what was going on until I went into the theater. And I was prepared for another snooze fest of, like, the other Conjuring movies. Cause, because, honestly, this is, I think, my least, like, series of, like, the Insidious Conjuring Annabelle stuff kind of mixed in. And I surprisingly am going to give this a green arrow because I thought it wasn't horrible. And they gave Ed and Lorraine a lot of time, things we should have seen maybe at the beginning to build up these two characters and why they, you know, we didn't get why they do what they do, but it was nice to have a series focus on them 
Now, it does have some faults, so I'm going to say it's a pretty weak Green Arrow, but I feel it's a good ending to the series, which they're probably not going to end it because... You yeah. <laughs> you keep sending them that signal. I love this as the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just really felt like a good ending because I feel like what we wanted in, in all of these movies was more Ed and Lorraine because the actors are good, they really work well together... They're a nice presence on the screen, and we needed more of that coupled with the jump scares. Now, this got rid of the jump scares and anything creepy in favor of Un- Lorraine, but I still think it was pretty good. So I'm going to give it a weak green arrow. It is not scary for kids, even though it's rated R, just FYI. I didn't think it was scary unless they find, like, Tiki's scary from the Brady Bunch. But, but your audience did. Yeah, my audience did. I'm totally confused by that because did you guys, like, ever see anything creepy on the screen? I think that this one was short on the, on the scares, the shocks that James mm-hmm. Wan and the audience have come to expect. They even like gasped and were going ooh at the rats when they were when Lorraine was in the crawl space. Yeah, I think you're onto something when you say people haven't been out to the movies in a while. Yeah, but <laughs> it wasn't horrible. It wasn't the best thing, but I think there's opportunities they could have taken to make it better. But they did a good job. Stewart. Yeah, I hear you, Marjorie. I'm not going to recommend this movie. That's a little too bold for my blood. But I do feel like improvements were made. Uh, you know, I went into this saying, I know I'm not going to like it, but will they have anything new to say? And the answer is yes. They moved into the 80s. They took on more of a slasher aesthetic. They had a really nice new palette in the cinematography. And I felt like by focusing on the Warrens for the first time and making them the stars, suddenly they became this investigative couple it became a a different kind of almost like a tv show or something of them going from place to place trying to connect the dots of the occult it had its own charms and also lost a lot in the process i kind of feel like arnie when he recommended dominion after hating on all the other exorcists it's like yeah but the people that like this aren't going to like the fact that all of this is gone you know they're going to be mad that the james wan traps are not there. They're going to be mad. There's all this lovey-dovey stuff and not enough on the jump scares. I, you know, I think that my guess is this will be seen as one of the more unpopular ones. But as someone that hasn't liked the series, I saw improvements. And so, you know, it always makes me vomit in my mouth a little to see the way that they legitimize the Warrens and take these sad, true stories and overblow them. You know, oversell what's going on here. I was able to to go with the fictionalization more this time and not just see the Warrens as pathetic opportunists, see them as heroes. I I was just able to get into the mindset. Maybe it was streaming it at home. Maybe it was the product of low expectations. But yeah, I found this to be cheesy, not very scary, not particularly ethical, but kind of watchable. And does that mean Green Arrow? I'm going to say no. In the end, I still don't recommend this series, but I do think it's one of the best in this series. I'll admit that in the first Conjuring film, the way that it pretended to be true and even the whole story behind the Warrens in that one bugged me. But as these get further and further into fictional territory, why does the Conjuring film bother you so much and you're fine with, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre being based on Ed Gein or some of these other... They did, because it never was. It never did that. They really didn't oversell the true story part of Texas Chainsaw. This one not only insists that it's a true story, but we should love these people for what they've done to help 
uh, with the problem of demons. Like, and these people are horrible. And they were always butting in and trying to make money off people's pain. It's a very, the exploitive nature. I'm just glad this movie, I was, I would have sworn up and down this movie was going to end with them lecturing a jury in court that they <laughs> needed to believe that demons are real and the jury going, you're absolutely right and letting this man go. That was what I thought I was going to be given. So I feel like this movie is benefiting from a mild red arrow by them just, you know, not being that. And I guess I don't like the film as much as either of you. I found it to be a little meandering. I thought that its forays into slasher territory didn't work. Like, all of the original films that it was homaging, I'll use that term, were scarier than this, where it just did feel like a bunch of callbacks that I never felt like Lorraine was in danger of having her head bashed in by Ed. I never felt like Debbie was in danger of being stabbed by Arnie with that shard of broken glass, you know? It just never had that feeling of danger, and there were so many digressions in this at the expense of the villain. I agree with every question Stuart asked about Isla. I don't know enough about her. So the ways that I liked the previous Conjuring movies weren't even here, and what they've replaced it with, I like less. Oh, I'd wow. say this is it's... my least favorite of the three core conjurings. Oh, wow. Really? That's hmm. a surprise. After Two, for me, was the worst of all of them. The two was so laughably bad. See, and I rewatched those just a couple of years ago when we were doing the build-up to La Llorona and, all of, and Annabelle Comes Home. And I just thought that those earlier conjuring films, I don't recommend them. Yet every time a new one comes out, it feels like I'm rewatching them. So it's my own kind of demonic curse, but at least they had an atmosphere going for them that this one didn't. And, you know, I preferred London Calling as a eerie song to call me. So Conjuring, don't call me. Lose my number. Not recommend. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to call me either. Again, I seriously hope, I really, for, for Vera and Patrick's soul... I want them to be free of this series. They don't need to do this anymore. They have done their best. They've been the best thing about it in many ways. But they don't need to spend their time anymore on this. And I agree. If 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 they seem to be courting an audience that is young and is fascinated by retro details but still in the goosebumps phase of their horror viewing, then just go get young stars. Like, just have Judy be the new hero going forward. We don't need to see Ed and Lorraine again. Although I hear there's a werewolf one that's, uh, you know, people like that storyline a lot. They've been hoping for them to deal with that suffix werewolf for a while. So we, we may get that. That's, that's in the late 80s. So chronologically speaking, not that they ever follow facts, but that would be the next adventure for Ed and Lorraine. But they do follow trends, and it was early 80s with American Werewolf after 1981, so maybe. I hear they're thinking of remaking The Howling. We could have a whole werewolf resurgence. God knows. Oh, boy. Zombies, we've had vampires. Werewolves could be the trendy new thing. Meanwhile, this Friday, if you want something a lot more scary and a lot more realistic, if not based on real events, 
If you are a patron at now playing patron.com of $10 or more, you can watch Jacob Stewart and I vanish. Yes. Kind of a rare, I mean, I, I don't think it's underrated because I think the people that have seen this movie have called it a masterpiece, a classic. It's gotten a lot of acclaim, but it probably, by being a Dutch film, hasn't been seen by as many Americans as it should. The Vanishing is a beloved serial killer movie that lives in the shadow of Silence of the Lambs and is a very different spin on it. But yeah, I hope you can join us for the show and discuss serial killers. And then next week, if you love zombies, we're back to video games and Dead Rising. You're right. That might be my worst choice. Suggesting a video game retrospective has been very painful. I don't know if things get better with Jesse Metcalf trying to play the game Dead Rising in the first of two movies. Watchtower is the, the subtitle of the Dead Rising film. But now for something completely different, we're giving away a good movie, folks. No. Really? No. For real? What's Bruce Willis doing this week? No, Harrison Ford. Uh-oh. Because this is the 40th anniversary, feel old folks, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, okay. We're giving away five Blu-ray copies that are HDR10, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. Thanks to our friends at Paramount Pictures, we have five copies of this to give away. Raiders of the Lost Ark, not Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That is correct. It is not the 40th anniversary of that movie that does not exist. Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure there's not, like, a ugly surprise hidden in this treat. Well, then that is something you'd really want to win, I would think. That's really cool. How do they do it? To enter, join our Facebook listeners group, which is a blast, by the way. I am loving our listeners group, where all of the now-playing listeners can post their thoughts on any movie, on our show, whatever. It's just a great place to hang out if you just go to Facebook. The pinned post on our Facebook page is to our Facebook group, and... We're nearing a 1,000 members on that Facebook group in a short time. I'd love to see us hit a 1,000 and just have even more fun conversations in there. Or you can subscribe to our In Focus newsletter, which is if you go to nowplayingpodcast.com, click on subscribe. Jason puts his heart and soul into this newsletter every Friday. I always look forward to reading it. I'm always curious. Even though sometimes I contribute, I'm always curious what Jason has put together and what you guys are watching that week and everything. So either way, you enter, and if you do both, you've entered twice, and the winners will be announced on Facebook on June 18th. Very cool. Good luck to everyone. I, I thought you were going to tell them they'd have to, like, grab it off a pedestal and run from a boulder or something with the darts. No, that's only what we do when we have Thomas Jane movies to give away. <laughs> I would want to jump in front of the spear and then have to watch that one. But, hey. So, Marjorie Stewart, thank you for conjuring up another podcast with me. And listeners, until next time, it's over. You survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of? I was there. Whatever happened that day, that was not Arnie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty far out, isn't it? Yeah, it's groovy. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find reviews of The Insidious Films, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Saw, and hundreds more. Look what she made me do. 
You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Sometimes when you get haunted, it's like stepping on gum. You take it with you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Yo, Arnie! You want to make a quick five bucks? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I like your dogs. Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. Arnie needs to be put on a 24-hour suicide watching. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. He's here with you, and he's telling you to do things. What is it telling you to do? Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, The Saffron Company, Evergreen Media Group, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The Conjuring films are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Nobody's disputing any of them. Arnie knows that he's going to prison. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The devil is the father of lies. Demons are his manipulators. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We have to get out of here. You did good. No, you did. in a new state since we moved and mm-hmm. Arnie's back at home mm-hmm. and I got tired we of are still together in... um yeah we are. we're still married <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna see him tomorrow he's coming he's coming home I'm scrolling through I keep all my conjuring notes in one document and I just scroll past something in bold this movie is 134 minutes why yeah that conjuring too <laughs> Arnie murders his landlord, but in trial he pleads not guilty by reason of demonic possession. I want to know if you're tempted to use this excuse. I can think about shit you've done, and I mean, like, if it ever came back, I wonder if you would say the devil possessed you. The devil? It depends. If it's my college years, I'm going to blame drugs. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that one. I just want to say I never run into Marjorie's in movies except for like one and it was Spider-Man Homecoming where Stan Lee said how you doing Marjorie or something <laughs> you're right I can't think of too many movie characters off the top of the bat Marjorie. no yeah I had a water bed and while no demons came out of it we didn't properly treat the water and there was like maybe the creature from the Black Lagoon in there <laughs> by the end yeah, they got kind of gross. Oh, so much mold and algae. Oh, I can't. The, the day that we dragged that away, I, they're very heavy, too. Even empty to water, like mm-hmm. a, a nightmare. I just remember being covered in fungi and just thinking <laughs> I was not going to survive. I had a waterbed that I didn't properly treat. It never grew fungus, but I guess part of the treatment is to keep the bladder, for lack of a better term, yeah, flaccid. And so mine shattered 
<laughs> I had a giant swimming pool in my second floor apartment. I'm like, oh. what do I do? The, imagine just having like an open aquarium cool. the size of a double size bed. Like, how sounds the hell pretty cool. Do that, but that's actually how she meets Elsa, or is it Isla? I think it's Isla. Yeah, La Isla Bonita, not Bonita. Yeah, whatever. What's <laughs> yeah. I was rooting actually for the Warrens. I don't think they established any kind of emotional connection with Arnie. Yeah, you have no emotional connection with Arnie. I see how it is. Uh oh. They call a priest or something. Maybe a lawyer. Oh, hang on, someone's lawn mowing. So that could be a while. Hang on, just a second. Let me look and see. Oh yeah, I hear that. You don't see them, which is weird. We're so close too. That's what happens is the demon comes to me when one of you makes noise on the mic. Oh, it's true. Oh, we've seen I, it. I, I yeah. know you're possessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's triggered by ice in your cup. <laughs> That's how you summon that That's demon. That's the totem. Yeah. Big, like a fucking, like, big gulp with ice. <laughs> Extra ice. <laughs> Please bring back the howling just so we can review the marsupials. <laughs> howling 3 is amazing. It really is. <laughs> Aussie marsupial kangaroo <laughs> werewolves. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>